Welcome to Cold Case Western Australia, the official podcast series of the Western Australian Police Force Special Crime Squad. The squad's remit includes all unsolved homicides and long-term missing persons who are presumed murdered in the world's largest single policing jurisdiction, a beat of some two and a half million square kilometres. My name is Neil Poe and I'm your host. In this episode, we look at the brutal murder of 19-year-old Felicia Maria Wilson in the southern Perth suburb of Quinana on the 10th of January, 1979. The murder weapon, a 27-kilogram limestone rock, was used to inflict catastrophic head injuries. Felicia was a beautiful young woman, inside and out. She was a finalist in the 1977 Miss West Coast beauty pageant. She'd just started a new job and was due to be married a few weeks later. She was quite literally in the prime of her life. Her murder, in broad daylight, shocked the West Australian community and evoked a huge outpouring of public support for her family and a flood of information to police. Yet despite a massive investigation that looked at hundreds of persons of interest, police were unable to identify her killer or killers or a motive. Felicia's youngest brother, Gerard Wilson, explains the family's ongoing torment 44 years later. I would say to anyone who may have information about who killed Felicia, is please give us some reason why her life was taken so tragically. You know, at a time, she had so much to live for and her whole future in front of her. Every day, we still feel her loss, we still hurt, we still cry and, and ask why. So please help us make some sense of it all. It won't bring closure, but it, it will certainly help. Felicia was born in India, one of seven children to Bevis and Colleen Wilson. She was the second oldest behind Veronica, then came Eugene, Belinda, Sabrina, Gerard and Petrina. Mum and Dad, they were both born in India. Dad mainly from Scottish and English heritage, Mum Irish and English. Dad had a great job in India, He, uh, he was a supervisor with Caltex oil refinery. They lived in a, a gated community in a nice modern two-storey house with, with nannies to help mum and, and every sporting facility available to them and had an amazing social life. Always something to attend to. Dad was a champion sportsman. Even now at 89, he's, he's playing golf three days a week. Life was good for them in India and that's where my five older brothers and sisters were born. But in the late 60s, Dad, I think, believed there was more opportunity for the kids elsewhere and decided to migrate to Victoria, Australia, where um, his older brother was already living. In June 1976, Bevis and Colleen Wilson moved the family to Western Australia, settling in the southern Perth suburb of Aurelia. Felicia was then a teenager, and after leaving school, she worked at the Commonwealth Bank's Rockingham branch as a teller. She had ambitions of becoming an air hostess, but was too young at the time. 
1977, Felicia entered the Miss West Coast beauty pageant and made it through to the final. I attended some of those beauty pageants. Um, I yeah. used to have them down at, I mean, one was at Rockingham Foreshore. And then there was one that she was also on TV, which we still, I still have footage of her somewhere of that. I mean, I remember mm. as a young man then, Miss West Coast was quite a big deal. So, um, yeah. you know, she, she had obviously did well to make the, the final that year. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was gorgeous. Oh, we thought it was wonderful. Yeah, um, we all thought it was just really, really good. We just thought, wow, proud of her. She turned into a beautiful woman. That's Felicia's sister, Belinda Smith. In 1978, Felicia met 19-year-old Jim Mark Bryce and they got engaged on the 14th of July that year, with the wedding date set for the 3rd of February 1979. I just do remember Mum and Dad thought they were both too young and too soon. I remember them meeting with the parents, but that all worked out okay. They, weren't, they loved you. To me, Felicia, she, she was just a beautiful, vibrant, a fun sister with a lot of spark. Good at sport and um, uh, at 19, she seemed so much more mature than 90 year olds I've met since. I remember being, I remember her being in love and very excited about getting married and sharing her life with Jim. We all liked him, and you could tell that she loved him, and you could tell that he loved her. Felicia left her bank job in August 1978. And in September, she and Jim went on an extended holiday to Victoria. When they returned, Felicia started looking for a new job. And on Monday, the 8th of January, 1979, she started working as a receptionist at the Quinana Community Health Centre, which was just a kilometre from her family's house. Felicia was murdered on her way home from work three days later. Detective Inspector Darrell Cox is a 39-year police veteran, 35 years as a detective, eight of those at the Special Crime Squad investigating homicides. Now overseeing the squad, he led a major review of Felicia Wilson's murder in 2011. He explains what happened on the afternoon of the 10th of January, 1979. Felicia finished work at around 4.25, 4.30 that afternoon. And the previous day she'd walked home, so she was going to walk home the short distance. It's about a 15 minute walk back to her house. She left work, walked through that bush area, and unfortunately she never arrived home that night. Around eight o'clock the following morning, so the 11th of January, 1979, a work colleague who was helping in the search for Felicia located her naked body 70 metres off a bitumen pedestrian walkway. I understand it was quite a confronting scene, a crime scene. Can you, without going into too many gory details, can you describe what that looked like? It was a very confronting scene. The, Felicia was um, naked, lying on her side, and next to her was a 27 kilogram limestone rock 
which was located next to her head. She had significant head injuries as a result of being struck with a limestone rock. Felicia's clothing was next to her, so the skirt, T-shirt, bra and underwear, and they had obviously been ripped off her and they were um, next to her. Forensic tests later showed Felicia's skirt may have been cut by a knife when it was removed from her. For Felicia's sister Belinda, the horror of her murder was compounded by a haunting what-if moment. Belinda had planned to walk home with Felicia that fateful afternoon, but at short notice was told she wasn't needed at her casual job at a Quinana supermarket that day, so wasn't in the town centre late that afternoon as she had expected to be. The night before she had to go to work, she said to me, oh, um, we were talking about work and she said, oh, I've got to get home early um, because Jim and I are going somewhere. And I said, oh, look, I've been working because I worked every day at the coal supermarket. And I said, why don't you walk home with me? I'll show you this quick way along this track that I took every day for four weeks. And she goes, okay, I'll meet you. I'll meet you. Oh, I said, I'll come meet you after work. And she went to work in the morning because she had started earlier. Then my work phone said, oh, we don't need you today. And I said, oh, okay. So I thought, um, I'll go meet her at lunch. So I met her at lunch and said, oh, look, I won't be coming home with you because they didn't need me today. And she goes, oh, I sort of know where the track is. I'll go, I'll just go that way myself. Um, and that was the last time. I saw her. It was like a dream. It was like, it was unfolding in a movie. That didn't seem real. No, it just still doesn't seem real. To heap misery upon tragedy, the day Felicia's body was found, the 11th of January 1979, was also Gerard Wilson's 11th birthday. The mum had organised a party for myself and some friends come, come around. That's pretty much the morning we got the news. And I don't know, it was just strange. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> I remember a friend arriving to the party and knocking on the door. And uh, I just stood there and cried, <laughs> couldn't say anything. And then Veronica took over and um, went and spoke to his mother and explained what had happened. And, and they, they went home. But um, uh, that's what I remember. And then during the day, I think the media, the media were everywhere, pretty much on the roof, I think, you know, over the fence. Um, some friends took me to their house and gave me a birthday cake to try to cheer me up, but of course, didn't work. I remember watching the news and seeing Felicia's body being removed. Mum and Dad didn't like us watching the news, but we'd sneak off and watch it because I thought, I have to, because I'm not feeling, I'm, I just felt like she's gone on a holiday, but they were coming back. 
Unsurprisingly, Felicia's sudden and unexplained murder hit her parents particularly hard, and her father, Bevis, was so grief-stricken and so fearful for the safety of his remaining children that he was unable to return to work for many weeks. I think Dad, as, a, as fathers do, felt like he should have been there to protect her. I think he'd suffered from that for a long time. One of the hardest things for me, I think, at that age, your dad is everything. He's the biggest, he's the strongest. And just seeing him break down in front of you constantly, <laughs> that was very difficult. I still remember that uh, very vividly. And because he, he was a strong man, he was a happy man, he was entertaining. And he just, just broken. Instead of finalising preparations for Felicia's wedding to Jim in little over three weeks' time, the family had to plan her funeral. The funeral director came and um, Jim was there and they said, oh, you know, what would you like her to be dressed in? And he goes, oh, can we have a dress in her wedding dress? I can't remember what he said, but I remember he went to the wardrobe and got the dress and gave it to the um, funeral director. And I remember him going to the car with the, the dress. No one ever saw her in the dress except for me because she came out one night and she goes, I she goes, oh, what do you think I look like? And I just went, beautiful. When police officers first arrived at the crime scene on the 11th of January, 1979, they located a number of footprints. Here's Detective Inspector Daryl Cox again. There was two sets of footprints located in the vicinity of Felicia's body, but unfortunately that track and that area was a shortcut between Quinana Town Centre and Aurelia. There was also a swimming pool a couple of hundred metres away and there was a lots of people that would frequent that area and frequent that pathway. So there was two sets of footprints around there where the body was located. Whether they are both related to the death, we don't know. Is there any indication though that there could have been more than one offender, possibly two? It's possible. There is obviously two sets of footprints around that area. So there could have been two offenders. So we are just keeping an open mind on that. Felicia's brother Gerard has his own theory. I just feel like there was probably two people knowing that she was a fast runner, a very strong girl. So for someone just one person to trap her doesn't make sense to me. Felicia's murder struck a nerve with the WA community and the state government quickly announced a $10,000 reward for information. There was over a thousand suspects nominated. There was thousands of different bits of information that have come forward from the public and uh, a very large number of police resources were used on this investigation. There was three identikits that were released during the early stages of the investigation. One of those generated 150 calls from the public within the first 24 hours. So I think that shows how um, concerned the public were with this crime. You were uh, the lead detective on the Special Crime Squad review of this case in 2011. What did the review panel determine about the veracity of those identicates? Did they help or hinder the investigation? It's difficult in an investigation when you have multiple 
identikits released to the public. Firstly, we've had to look at the accuracy of each identikit, and you're never sure if the person depicted in the identikit is actually involved in the offence. And what happens is a lot of people, once we have a number of identikits released, they may have information on other people, but don't come forward because it doesn't look like the identikit. So in some parts of the investigation, it can hinder. But obviously, if you've got an identikit of a person that you think is the offender, you have to release it to the public. In this investigation, it has probably hindered having three separate identikits In 1979, DNA wasn't uh, an investigative tool for police. What, if anything, was determined from the exhibits at that time? And second question, has anything been able to be extracted from those exhibits now using modern forensic technology? Unfortunately, the murder weapon, being the limestone rock, that's very porous. DNA from a rock is near impossible and obviously the way that it was treated back in 1979 there was no gloves, no masks, all those type of things so unfortunately the murder weapon has been tested a number of times but we've got nothing from that. On the other hand the clothing is our best opportunity. That was obviously ripped off Felicia by the offenders so he has touched the clothing. We've had success recently with a murder which is over 50 years old and we've got DNA from clothing. So we're very hopeful that with some further advancements in DNA technology that we still have a chance to obtain DNA at some stage from her clothing. And we will continue to test that clothing when those advancements occur. Why just listen to this cold case when you could be helping us solve it? We are recruiting. Visit WA Police Force's Let's Join Forces website to find out more. The post-mortem examination of Felicia's body found she died from a fractured skull, but did not find any evidence she'd been sexually assaulted. Generally speaking, if a victim is stripped of their clothing, though, does that indicate a, a sexual motive? That's correct. It appears that there was obviously a sexual motive. A lone female walking through the bush, found naked. Anyone would think that that would be the motive. Daryl, one curious or morbid detail to emerge from the post-mortem was that it was found that Felicia had been, her body had been cut after she had died. What can you tell us about that? The cuts are very interesting. We've, We've made inquiries throughout Australia and this is, it's very rare for an offender after a person has died to cut the body. It appears at this stage that um, after Felicia is deceased, the offender has made a number of cuts on her body. Now, where those cuts are, we have never told the public. So we, as investigators, we're keeping that to ourselves, but it's very rare for that to happen. Do the cuts indicate then that this was something more than a a random or an opportunistic murder? Is there anything in sort of the criminal psychology that suggests this was a targeted uh, attack or a crime of passion? This has always been investigated as, as a random murder of a young female walking home from work. There's a possibility that this is a random blitz attack 
The offender's been walking down the path the same time as Felicia. He's acted on his impulses. Or alternatively, he could have also been stalking Felicia. There's nothing to suggest that it's a boyfriend, previous boyfriend, or an associate of Felicia's. So as I've previously said, this has been investigated as a, as a random murder, and that is what makes this more horrific. It appears to be totally random. It was very brazen as well as brutal, wasn't it? In as much as it was a broad daylight, a summer's afternoon in Perth, mid-January, school holidays, there would have been hundreds of people in the immediate vicinity shopping, playing sport, working, and the, the path, that little area of bush there, is bordered by two quite busy streets, Gilmore Avenue and Sulphur Road. I agree. I think this is what has shocked the public so much in 1979. Such a horrific crime in broad daylight in an area frequented by the public. The local swimming pool was crowded and that was only a few hundred metres away. This was a, a track that was used by large amounts of people and it was just a shortcut. It, it wasn't dense, thick bushland. It was just a shortcut through some vacant land. Belinda Smith is likewise perplexed that no one actually saw Felicia being attacked. I actually went there not long ago. The school's here. The shy office is across the road from the school and there's a little path. It's only a little path. You can see the path all the way to the top of the hill. So why didn't anybody see anything? You know? And it was so open. Who would even think of doing something in the open? It's a disturbing criminal profiling fact that the majority of adult female homicide victims around the world are killed by their partners or former partners, which meant that Felicia's fiancé, Jim Bryce, was by default on the investigators' list of persons of interest. Felicia's fiancé, Bryce, was interviewed extensively at the time, and during our review we also extensively investigated his involvement and there's nothing to show that he was involved at all in the death of Felicia. All of the information that we've gathered showed that Felicia was happy in the relationship, Bryce was happy and there was no issues at all. Bryce was alibied by his family and uh, we are happy at this stage until we get information which says otherwise that he's not involved. And he's now deceased, isn't he? He died in an accident in 1992, so you don't have an opportunity to, to talk to him again. That's correct. In, in 1992, Bryce tragically died. He was with another person on the balcony of a, a local hotel in Como having a few drinks. Both Bryce and this other individual have accidentally fallen off the balcony and uh, Bryce has died from his injuries from the fall. So yes, unfortunately, we cannot take that investigation any further in regards to Bryce. The investigation into Felicia's murder took an unexpected turn in 1994 when a New South Wales detective contacted WA Police. A New South Wales Police informant in jail had passed on some startling information about a notorious fellow inmate, Andrew Peter Garforth. Garforth was sentenced to life in prison for the 1992 abduction, rape and murder of nine-year-old schoolgirl Ebony Simpson. 
She was walking home from the school bus at Bargo, a regional town 100 kilometres southwest of Sydney, when Garforth abducted her. After putting Ebony in the boot of his car, Garforth drove to a remote location where he sexually assaulted her, tied her up with wire, then filled her school bag with rocks to weigh her down and threw her into a dam where she drowned. It was a crime of such depravity the sentencing judge refused to fix a non-parole period, ordering that Garforth never be released from jail. The New South Wales detectives have contacted us and advised us that a prisoner in the cell with Garforth had been told by Garforth that he was responsible for the death of Felicia Wilson. Now Garforth was residing in Quinana at the time of Felicia's death and during this admission to the other prisoner he went into great detail of how Felicia had been killed and he even drew a map of the crime scene. He told the prisoner he knew she was working at the health centre and he stated that he waited for her in the bush before attacking her. That sounds like a lot of detail. What did Garforth say when he was interviewed by WA detectives? WA detectives flew to New South Wales in 1994 and interviewed Garforth in prison. Unfortunately, he refused to speak with investigators. Later in 2006, detectives have again flown to New South Wales and have spoken to him whilst he was in prison still. He stated that he made up the confession in an attempt to receive the reward. He stated that his cellmate was going to get the reward and he would go halves with his cellmate. Does that sound feasible to you, given the amount of detail that he provided his cellmate? It's very hard to determine because a lot of what he said had been reported in in the media. So there was nothing in what he had told us that couldn't have been taken from any of the media releases. So he didn't have anything that was specific to the crime, only known by investigators and the suspects. So we just have to keep an open mind on whether Garforth was involved or not. And at the time he was supposed to be in juvenile detention, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. He was in juvenile detention on the night that Felicia was was murdered, but there was a high likelihood that he could have left that detention centre and committed the murder and gone back to that detention centre. Uh, the security at the, de- at the detention centre uh, was not good. He also told his cellmate that he had an accomplice. Can you expand on that for us? Garforth nominated a fellow by the name of Philip Gentle as being with him when he killed Felicia. So Gentle had previously been interviewed in 1979 as a suspect, purely because of his criminal antecedents and that he lived in the vicinity of Quinana. So both Garforth and Gentle both resided and hung around the Quinana area. Originally, Gentle could not be alibied for the day that Felicia was murdered. The day after Gentle was interviewed, he committed a burglary and stole $1,700. He then took a bus to Sydney using a false name. Whilst he was in Sydney, living in a share house, occupants of the unit contacted police, stating that Gentle was having nightmares and in his sleep, he would say the name Felicia 
followed by the words copper and run. So as a result of that, WA detective travelled to New South Wales, interviewed Gentle. During the interview, he actually confessed to killing Felicia. But when further questioned, his confession did not match the crime scene information. And he actually got quite a bit of the crime scene wrong. And there was massive inconsistencies between the crime scene and his confession. And the detectives at the time did not believe that he was telling the truth. So where do uh, Garforth and Gentle sit in terms of the investigation today? They are both unalibied suspects. Unfortunately, Gentle committed suicide in 1985 whilst in police custody after having been, being arrested for minor drug charges. But Garforth remains a unalibied suspect. There was some speculation back in 1979 about possible links between Felicia's murder and another murder of a young woman in Esperance in December 1978, so only the month before, where a 16-year-old girl whose name was Carolyn Joan Fountain was found murdered. She'd also received fatal head injuries. She'd also been stripped naked, but she also had not been sexually assaulted. Has that been looked at and has any link been determined or ruled out? That was looked at at the time by investigators and we have reviewed that as well when we did our full review of the Felicia Wilson homicide. A suspect was charged and convicted for the murder of Caroline Fountain in Esperance. We always keep an open mind on these things but we do not believe that the murders are connected at this stage. Do you think you could help us close this cold case? We're recruiting and applications are open now. Visit WA Police Forces Let's Join Forces website to find out more. Sadly, Felicia's mother, Colleen, passed away on New Year's Day 2021. Mum was a practising Catholic. She had a strong faith. <laughs> it was tested. And yeah, she she would have liked to know. Of course, she would have liked to, as a mother, why someone would take your daughter like that for no apparent reason. In 2023, the WA state government announced $1 million rewards for information about all unsolved homicides. And Felicia's family hopes that considerable financial incentive will finally convince someone to come forward with some answers about her murder. It's a strange thing. I mean, if they do find the perpetrator, it's not, it's, there's no justice. I think we just want to know why more than anything. You know, 34 years, you just reminded me it's been that long. It, it actually hasn't got any easier. I think as you get older and you mature and become an adult, you think, you know, you think differently. And you think of what, what she went through during that while it was happening. Why, why couldn't she get away? She was a strong, she was very fast runner. But it definitely, I think, has even affected me more and the family more still. There's children that weren't had, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, all that because of that day. So when we do all get together, I feel we're still not complete as a family because she's not there. There's no closure. There'll never be closure. 
ever. Because, okay, we might find out who it is and then I might be relieved that that person's never going to hurt anybody again. And just to put a face or even to ask why, you know, just to ask the person why. But she's never going to come back. What would it mean to the family now, even 44 years later, to get those answers? Well, we'd be so grateful. A final word from Detective Inspector Daryl Cox. There is a very strong commitment from the Special Crime Squad. We never give up on any of these unsolved homicides. We'll continue to test exhibits. We'll continue to interview witnesses, suspects, and we will do everything in our power for the Wilson family to bring this to a resolution. If you have any information on the murder of Felicia Wilson, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. For more information on this case and other unsolved homicides in Western Australia, please visit the Crime Stoppers WA website. Cold Case Western Australia is the official podcast of the WA Police Special Crime Squad. Written and produced by Neil Poe, editor Troy Lemmy, WA Police Force Advisor Luke Elliott.